Now we're coming into that time of year where everybody's working on their home improvement projects or thinking about what they're going to work on. And, you know, the question I get asked often is, can I do this myself? And that's a loaded question because it depends on what you've done before if you're able to tackle whatever home improvement project you're looking at. I really recommend for most people, start with the simple projects. Painting is something that virtually everybody can do. Yeah, professionals you know, have certain ways of doing things, but it, it's one of those things, though, that is a great beginner spot is just painting your home, whether it's inside or outside. Then when you get into, you know, uh, water is flowing slow out of the faucets, what do you do? Well, you check the aerator first. That's, that's at the end of the spigot, you know, where the water comes out on the kitchen faucet or on the bathroom faucets. And the way you know that that's what's plugging up, if the, if the shower is running fine and the bathtub is running fine, toilets are doing fine, but you're getting slow flow to the sinks and stuff, remove the aerator, clean out all the debris that builds up in there, put it back in, and you're going to be amazed at the difference that will make for you. You know, one of the things that uh, we've been doing a lot of talking about lately is air conditioning. And it's always... It's always a question on maintenance. You know, what can the homeowner do themselves? Well, the biggest thing you can do is make sure you keep the filter changed out. And if you're doing some remodeling in the house, stuff that's going to make dust, and this is going to hurt, shut the air conditioner off. You don't need that stuff, uh, you know, sifting through the system. And granted, even when you have filters, some of the dust will go through beyond you know through the filter and onto your coils and stuff and you need to avoid that so again shut the system down oh excuse me i had to shut the sound off there for a second had to cough uh if if you allow all that dust to go through it gets into the coils then you got to have the system really cleaned well and, and that's so avoidable. And the type of stuff that I'm talking about that creates a lot of dust, if you're doing sheetrock work, if you're sanding floors, things like that, it can be an issue. If you're only painting or, you know, doing uh, things that doesn't create a lot of dust, you don't have to worry about it. The smell is not going to cause you problems being spread out through the house because it will spread out through the house through the air conditioning system. Uh, but the dust is what really creates havoc on a system. And never operate your system without filters in it. That is the quickest way to have issues with it. Now, also, one of the things that uh, I need to make sure we talked about today has to do with the weather cycles again. And uh, let's face it, a lot of our, a lot of what we do revolves around the weather cycles. Uh, when it starts getting extremely hot, if you're thinking about doing some concrete work, concrete sets up faster when it's hot out. And a lot of times people don't realize that, but the main reason it does, if, mo if it's hot and moisture is evaporating quickly, it pulls the moisture out of concrete faster. 
that's where you can get cracked in the concrete, where you'll see these little spider type, you know, it looks like a spider web type cracks in it. Now, is it something that you need to get overly concerned about? Not just the fact that you're getting little spider uh, cracks in there, but to minimize the cracks, there are things that you can do. Uh, when you go down the highway, you'll see them sometimes put big mats out and keep those mats wet. They're blankets, basically, and it holds moisture on top of the concrete. That's to slow the evaporation, which will s minimize the cracking. You can do the same thing. You can put stuff down over the top and keep it hosed or simply you know, lightly sprinkle water over the top after it's all you know, been uh, finished off and everything as it's curing. If you'll do that for the first uh, 24 hours, your concrete will come out looking much better. You'll be amazed at the difference it makes. Just keep it moist. And the reason that it happens so much more in the summer months is that's when it's dry out and, and the, the evaporation just happens so much faster. Got a question on that. It's an old the house was built back in the 80s, and he, um, the tub is kind of as a, as a fiberglass tub shower deal. Right. And um, like the wood trim that goes from like on the side of it to like the tile of the floor um, on the bottom, you know, you, it's kind of pulling away from it. And it kind of looks like there's some water. I mean, and the bottom of the tub is kind of feeling kind of smushy when you're, when you're in it, but it's a slab foundation. So is that, you right. think it's, it could be leaking? Because I don't see any cracks. We, you know, you clean it real well, you're down in there looking when you, you know, me and my wife both don't see any cracks, but, you know, there's some water sometimes that comes on the ground, and, and, and we know it's not the shower curtain. So Yeah, I mean, we well, know th those, you... uh, those fiberglass tubs, even when they're brand new, when you walk in them, they're going to have a little bounce to them because they don't sit flat on the concrete under them. Uh, now, they, you're supposed to fill in with some mortar under there and stuff so that it gives it a firmer base. But unfortunately, most plumbers, when they install them, they don't take care of that part of it because they're so used to putting in the metal tubs that don't need that. They miss that step on these fiberglass tubs. Yeah. As, as far as the wood... Uh, no matter how careful you are with a shower curtain and stuff, there's always some water that gets outside of a, a tub when a shower's taken. And yeah. so it does over time start showing on the, the wood trim that's around one of those. I just didn't know if it was leaking from the bottom or, 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 or not, you know. Like under yeah. the tub was leaking. Chances well. are it's not. If it, was, if it was leaking from the bottom... You would actually see water coming out from under the tub, probably. Okay, okay. And then the second, the next question I have is, in there, the ceiling fan, when you turn it on from the, from the switch, um, huh? you know, it takes, when, when you put the switch on to the, to the light ceiling fan, it takes a second for, for the fan. It kind of makes a noise, and it, you know, it's real gradual. Like, you kind of have to hit it to get it to spin. Do you think it's time to just replace it, or is there... Is it easier to put parts in it or, or, or what? Nah, it's, it's probably time for a replacement because they don't cost that much. The biggest yeah, thing yeah. is make sure you get one that's similar in size because it can be a yeah. real pain to change out to a, to a different size. And you definitely don't okay. want to go smaller than you have. Uh, no, but what no. happens is that the, the motor probably kicks on just fine, but the fan huh. blade is able to spin on the shaft. And so the the shafts start spinning, 
and a fan blade slowly is catching up to the spinning shaft, and that's why it seems like it starts slow that way. All right. Uh, do you have time for one more little question? I, I will after the news break. So let me put you on hold, and we'll, we'll catch you when we come back. And, Jerry, you'll be right after Kerry. So don't go anywhere. 1-800-288-9227 for Texas Home Improvement. All righty. When we left, I was talking with Kerry. If you got a home improvement question, 1-800-288-9227. Kerry, are you there still? Yes, sir. The, the only other question I had was, is um, my dad's wanting to get his roof replaced, and the insurance company's not going to pay for it, and they said it's too old. But um, what when, when a roofing contractor comes out, we've had some of the big companies come out and look, and the shingles that they bring out um, – name of atlas is the brand i mean they don't seem as thick as like a timberline that we can go buy at home depot you say what 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 brand of shingles would you prefer i mean it, it, well don't let the thickness throw you too much uh what you're looking at is possibly different materials and uh you know like the certainty makes a great shingle uh timberline is a is a great shingle as well I don't know what brand they're bringing you, but uh, it was an Atlas I would, brand. Atlas. Yeah, I, I got, I'm not familiar with that with their roofing material, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's all uh, I have. Give it. Give Arrington Roofing a call and let them take a look at it, though, because uh, you know the first first question I'm having is, I, I can't believe an insurance company is saying the roof is just too old. Well, uh, it, it was put on in 1996, and he's had them come. Okay. He's had it three or four, three or four times as a 30-year roof come out. The actual adjuster, and they're saying yes, there is hail damage and things, but the the roof is worn too, you know, too much, and it, so it's not due to due to storm damage. They won't pay on it. They will not do it. Huh. It was put on in '96, and it's a 30-year roof. Right. So and yeah, not that's pay on that's it. not. That's not sounding right. Talk with Chris Arrington over at Arrington Roofing. Not that he's an insurance adjuster, but he knows a lot of them that he can maybe, you know, get you some help with that. Okay. All right. I appreciate you. Thank you. You Take care. Four, let's talk with Monty in the Woodlands. How are you? Hey, Jim. Uh, Before I ask you my question, I want to express how much I appreciate and how many of us appreciate the uh, community service that you do in this in the in the Houston area. Um, you're a good guy, but I think that makes you special. So, to oh, say thank that. you. I appreciate that. The uh, a few years ago, I noticed I was getting a little black mold on the north side of the painted surfaces of my house. Went down to Ace, and they showed me some products. But then this guy said, "Hey, just." Put, put some bleach in some water, and it'll take it right off. So that's what I've done since then, and it works like a charm. Right. But on my roof, I got a new roof after Ike. The tree came down. Most of my roof is like a 45-degree angle, I'm guessing, because I don't know. But I have a couple of places that are about half that grade, and those shingles are turning dark with that mold. Yeah. So my question is, uh, can I use a product with my handheld hand pump garden sprayer like wet and forget on those shingles to take care of that problem, the discoloration, or is there another product I should use? And, and certainly I don't want to do anything that would harm the shingles. 
Right. You can. Uh, there, in fact, there are there are some products out there that are made specifically for the shingles even to clean them. And basically, you'll put the material on there and then hose it off. No, you don't have to use any pressure or anything because you don't want to mess up the shingles. But uh, they'll clean up very nicely that way. And uh, do you have a name for any of those products? Uh, I do have one of them. Let me see if I've got... Uh, there's one that uh, called Roof Guard. Okay. And I can give you a website. It's roofguard.com. Got it. And uh, not only does it clean it, it actually, you know, uh, helps to make the roof stronger because it it uh, bonds everything together up there as well. Okay. Uh, do they have that at Ace by any chance? Uh, that they do not. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Um, anything else that I should know? Well, the other thing I would tell you is, you know, the same stuff you've been using to clean the, the paint on your side of your home actually would clean that roof very well is also. Oh, just bleach and water? Yep. And it, and it won't hurt a thing, because and what causes what causes that to happen is we got so much pollution in our air. It settles on the the roof. The reason the the more sloped places don't have the issue is the rain runs off so fast it takes it with it. But on those flatter areas, you know, it has time to bond in there. Well, the bleach will clean it up, kills any of the mold stuff, but it it'll help to loosen the dirt to wash away as well. So if I were going to apply that with my, uh, like I said, my hand-pumped garden sprayer, um, would I dilute it or use it straight? It, it, on on those shingles, it's not going to hurt it either way. Either way? Yeah. Um, if I don't dilute it, does that make it more effective? No. Okay. If I was doing it, I'd be probably going like a, for every gallon of water, I'd put, uh, uh well, I'd probably mix a 50-50 or a 75% water to 25% bleach, somewhere in okay. that range. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care, Bye. Monty. First one is an attic insulation question. The house is 60 years old, and I'm going to re-insulate the attic. I'm just going to go over the old insulation. It is flat as a pancake. The problem is the rafters, they are 2 by 6, but they are spaced different from what I expected. They are 20 and a half on center instead of 24 or 16. Do I just get 24 inch and stuff it in there or do I need to trim it to length wise to fit? First, I would tell you no, you don't need to trim it. What you what the easiest way to handle something like that is since there is some insulation in there already, rather than going and putting the new insulation in the same direction as those ceiling joists are, Go across them like a checkerboard. Yeah. Then you don't have to cut anything. And you can get whatever width you want. Use unfaced insulation. It doesn't need any paper since there's already insulation there. The whole purpose of the paper is when, to install it when a house is being built. So you got something to staple it and hold it into place. When you're laying it on the attic floor like that, unfaced is the best way to go. And like I said, just cross it like a blanket across those ceiling joists. Problem solved. And what you're looking for in an attic is about 15, 16 inches. 
because you're trying to get it up to like an R38 range. And 15 or 16 inches will do it. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't worry about cutting it and stuff. Okay. Also, could you recommend a company that does blown-in wall insulation? It is cedar shake siding that was never insulated. Um, so what do you recommend? Well, there is a product called Homesolate. And if you go to foammywalls.com, they've got a, a great video there that shows you how they can inject this wall foam insulation into your existing walls to to insulate those walls. And it's a non-expansive wall foam, so it really does it, it doesn't do any damage, but it fills the cavity, seals all the air gaps, and it sets up in just a matter of literally in a matter of seconds. They dump it in, like I said, it's kind of this consistency of shaving cream. And basically what they have to do is drill some small holes. They'll typically drill three of them for each wall cavity, in other words, for each in between each stud. And they'll start with the bottom. Once that section's filled, they move up to the next hole and then up to the one in the top to fill the entire wall cavity. And like I said, it just sets up in seconds. No more air infiltration. You got the highest R value available. Plus, it can kill a lot of the sound from outside as well. Really a great way to do it. And uh, again, if you go to foammywalls.com, there's a great video there that shows you exactly how they can put that in there and make your house so much more energy efficient. Another email that had come in about excessive dust. The house is 45 years old, blown-in insulation, looks dark gray and pulverized, have had nautilus heater and exhaust vents installed in bathrooms, also 8-inch hole above gas hot water heater, and seven light cans put in the dining room ceiling. Also engineered hardwood floors installed, and the trim at doors has been cut shorter than the floor. Need to know how to stop this excessive dust. Who should I contact? Well, actually, this is another one of those things that a lot of people could take care of themselves. Here's what a lot of people don't realize. When you use the pulverized-type insulation, and I'm talking about the stuff that's not fiberglass because fiberglass doesn't degrade. However, when you use cellulose insulation, as it ages, it degrades, it turns to dust. Well, what they have discovered is there's ways you can stop that from coming into the home or at least minimize it. New codes require, like where all the AC vents come through the ceiling into the room, not only do they have to have that vent cover on it, but before the vent cover goes on, it needs to be caulked and sealed around the opening where the metal canister comes through the ceiling. You can do the same with your canister lights and things like that. So you're sealing that dust that's up in the attic from coming down into the living space. And that's where all the dust is actually coming from, especially if your AC system pulls a vacuum on the house. The more we seal our houses up, the more likely we are that we're going to have a dust issue coming in because we pull the air, so, so much air with all these fans we put in, exhaust fans for cooking, exhaust fans for the bathrooms, exhaust fans for exhausting the attic, all this stuff puts a vacuum on the house where it starts pulling air in and path of least resistance is around these canister lights and such. So, again, seal all that with a good caulking 
and you won't have the issue with air infiltration causing these problems and it makes it so much easier to deal with uh, in fact if you got an older home and I, well, I shouldn't say older home if you got a house that was built uh, prior to oh say 2003 chances are good your, your ductwork and stuff is not sealed up where it comes through the sheetrock all houses ought to go ahead and do that it'll just make life much easier for you uh, and that is a simple do-it-yourself project because it doesn't matter what it looks like you're going to take the AC vent off caulk it up where the the metal canister comes through let that dry and put the AC vent back on it nobody will ever see it it's a, it's a great do-it-yourself project to one help with energy efficiency and two help control the dust if you got a garage and because I get this question all the time uh, you know people are wanting to put insulation in roof rafters or in garages and sheds and stuff like that insulation only works on heated and cooled spaces if you want to make a garage cooler a shed an attic something like that you use a radiant barrier because that stops the heat transfer it stops that radiant heat but insulation the reason it has an R value is it's slowing down the heat transfer and that's what insulation does and that's the reason it won't work if it's an area that's not heated and cooled I'm talking about a master bathroom I had an email come in and this was quite interesting because I talk about this quite often on the radio shows I do my master bathroom is being remodeled the contractor cut the top plate of a wall to move the plumbing for a shower niche they did not tell me about this I let's see here notice and questioned them they said they will install a header and jack studs we did not get any permits for the job so a building inspector is not planned for I'm not sure what I should do to ensure that it is structurally sound I have pictures if you would if it would help you with your answer and I did look at the pictures and let me tell you first of all any contractor who's willing to come in and do a project that requires a permit without pulling a permit is a bootleg contractor and you shouldn't be using them because if they're willing to shortcut on getting that permit what else are they going to shortcut on and in this example they cut the sill the sill plate on the top and if that's a support wall that could be a major problem now it's it, it's an easy enough problem to solve by putting a header up there and it doesn't have to be below the ceiling joist you a lot of times can put these above the ceiling joists as well to create spans however in this case it sounds like they weren't going to do anything until they got caught with the problem and that takes me right back to what I originally said if they're willing to bootleg the job without a permit what else are they willing to shortcut and you know a lot of times you won't notice something like this immediately it comes over time when the ceiling starts to sag and you start having problems and then you gotta tear it all out and rebuild it make your contractors pull the permits and you'll solve a lot of these problems now in this case here uh, I recommended that we go back we get the permit we go ahead and get that thing fixed and yes it was a support wall so it actually ended up having to have a structural engineer come out and look at it all things that yes it costs money but if you want the job done right 
you got to spend what it takes to do it right. Man, I'm new to this uh, remodel world, but, uh, you know, what I did is, is I'm trying to fix my house up, sell it, uh, find a new house, and I figured I'd save some money by doing it myself. Well, I went out and I bought the paint for like $35 for five gallons. And, and my, oh my walls were tan originally, and it's just a white latex paint. But anyway, it's taken three to four coats yep. to cover up the paint. I mean, do I need to buy a better grade of paint? Absolutely. Uh, that is the biggest problem with buying a cheap paint is it doesn't have the ingredients, enough of the ingredients in it to cover in one coat. Um, take, yeah. take a look. Go to Ace Hardware. Take a look at Valspar paint. That is Valspar. a great paint. Okay. Yeah, Valspar. It covers in one coat, and you're done. Awesome. They open the Ace right next door to my house. Ace is the place. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate the time. Thank you. You bet, Jeremy. Take care. I got a house right now that I'm doing for a police officer. We're remodeling it. Uh, in fact, if you go to our website, thipro.com, you'll see what we're doing. We're actually doing this one in Houston. We just had finished a project in Dallas for a uh, fireman. And we do this with the show. We get our contractors together, and we go out, and we do these jobs for free for people who need it. The police officer we're helping um, was in a rollover accident. He's quadriplegic and has brain injuries and the house needed a total makeover. The Valspar Paint Company donated all the paint for the inside and outside and I really figured we'd have to put two coats on the inside because of some of the colors that were in there. It's covering in one coat. Looks great. So if you're needing paint that Valspar paint at Ace Hardware does a great job for you. Question about a 43-year-old house that needs repiping. Got a pinhole in the other day. You had mentioned e-pipe or total repiping. I would like to know which would be best for pipes that are probably in bad shape. Of course, I am looking for something that is not so invasive, perhaps e-pipe. But on the other hand, this old could take it. I suppose the contractor would come out first and look at the pipes. Is there anyone you would recommend that would come? Well, okay. Here's what e-pipe is. E-pipe, they basically come in, they remove all the fixtures, all the valves and everything, so it's just open pipes. They sandblast through those pipes, and then they blow an epoxy resin through the pipes, which coats the inside of the pipe sealing any leaks that there are there, and if, if there's not any leaks, it's sealing the inside of pipe. So basically, you've got a new pipe inside of the old pipe. Uh, as far as structural strength of the pipe, would not be an issue at all. I, I, and, you know, unless the pipes are broken in two or something, the pinholes is exactly what this is designed to plug up. Now, as far as the invasiveness, you can come in and replace all the pipes in a house. But where you have the drops, you typically have to open up walls in order to do that. And that's the beautiful part about using the e-pipe system. You don't have to open up walls in order to make those drops. Where you do have to open up walls, though, is on like a shower valve or a bathtub valve. If there's not a box available on the backside to give you access, then you do have to cut one into the wall in order to undo the pipes off the water fixtures 
themselves because if you don't hey you got no way to sandblast through there you're you're putting all that material into your valves and that's the reason you got to take everything off like underneath underneath the vanities you've got the cutoff valves where the pipes come out you take those off behind the toilet you got the cutoff valve where the pipe comes out you take all that off and that gives you the open pipes in order to do the the uh, e-pipe system and it, it again it does work extremely well uh, as far as repiping a house if you're going to repipe a house take a look at using PEX in order to do it now there's different company brands and stuff like that but the PEX system is one that I'm familiar with, and it does a great job. Uh, I love working with it. it. It makes it much quicker and easier, and you, you can somewhat minimize the amount of damage you have to do to the walls in order to get access with the PEX, PEX pipe because it has some flexibility to it. Rick, how can I help you? Hello. Hi. I had a question on... Uh acclimation with hardwood floor i'm looking to get solid wood three-quarter inch redwood uh, red oak planks installed in my house and i've talked to maybe three or four different installers and most of them say it will take 10 to 14 days for the wood to acclimate in the home prior to installation but i did have one installer who recommends installing them as soon as they get in the house and then prior to sanding prepping and staining they'll then let it acclimate a couple weeks and i'm not sure which is correct the ones who are telling you put the wood in and let it sit before installing are the ones that are correct. Okay. What will happen is if you if you go ahead and install it, uh, and, and there's two scenarios. The whole the whole reason for letting the wood acclimate is sometimes it's going to expand, sometimes it's going to shrink. Well, if you put it in and then the air conditioner is running and it shrinks the wood, you'll have gaps between the wood. And that doesn't look good. If you put it in and it expands, it can actually cause the floor to buckle in areas. Again, oh, wow. that's a big problem. So that's the reason they put they, they recommend that you put it in, you know, just stack it over in a corner or whatever, let it acclimate, and then install it after that. Okay. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Eric, take care. Again, our number, 214-787-1080. And let me tell you, if you it, it doesn't matter if you're putting in new wood floors like, like Eric's doing where they're going to be finished after they're installed or you're putting in the, the uh, pre-finished stuff. It's still supposed to go into the building. And I say building because it's not all going into residential. This is whether it's residential or commercial. It should go in first in the packaging and be acclimated to the humidity levels of that building. In other words, you're, you're already running your air conditioning system and stuff. Let the floors get to their right size, then do the installation. And you gotta be careful that around the edges, you leave the proper gap so that the floor can expand without popping up. If you get too close, most floors require like a half inch on the sides all the way around it. And if you get too close, when the wood does expand, because it's going to expand and contract, with temperature moisture changes if you get too close to the edges as it expands it hits the edge it will pop up and create a hump in your floor and you know you don't want that so by all means let the floors acclimate and make sure they put the proper spacing and that's the reason we have the shoe molding around the edges to cover up that space and allow the floor to expand and contract 
without bulging up. It can be, become a really big problem if you don't do that. Now, I had an AC question come in. I have an HVAC system that's 15 years old. I've not had any major repairs since I've lived in the home the past three years. I had it serviced the other day, and it's running okay, but the compressor is working hard. The technician said the refrigerant pressures indicate compressor is weak and failing. They also said the amps climbed from 6.45 to 11.65 in five minutes. He also said valves on the compressor respond very slowly. I have considered replacing it in the past years. I saw in one of your answers to questions taped that said wait till it breaks to replace it. I was just wondering if that is a good idea according to what the serviceman said or replacing it would be a better idea. The air handler and heat pump, my electric, oh, wait a minute. Okay, my machine it has an air handler and a heat pump. My electric does seem higher than past years, and it is loud. One more question. If I replace it, the technician mentioned I could go AC and electric heat and no heat pump to save money. Is that a good idea, or is having a heat pump beneficial? Thank you for the info you could provide to help me make the best decision. Okay, let's start with 15-year-old system. Hey, it is probably getting time to be looking at replacing it. Now, I tell people all the time, wait till it breaks. But if the compressor is going out, it is breaking. But I'm going to tell you right now, this guy's feeding you a line to try to sell you a unit sooner than later. Oh, yeah, they do. I'm sorry. Technicians sometimes tend to do that because they make bonuses doing that. That's one of the reasons I love Advent Air. They, they truly do take care of their customers and give them all the right answers on stuff. But let's, let's talk about, uh, you know, why would you replace a 15-year-old system before it's completely broke down and stops working? Efficiency is the biggest reason. Fifteen years ago, it was probably an 8-seer unit that was put in, maybe a 10-seer. It could be a 10, but more than likely it was an 8, uh, because they did tell me what brand this is, and I wasn't going to put it out on the air. I've talked bad enough about that brand in the past. But let's just say it was a 10-seer. Over 15 years, as parts wear, efficiency goes down, it's probably only operating at a 4-seer rating now. A new system going in, you're going to be looking at probably a 16. I would be looking at an 18. You can get up to you know 21 at a, at, at a fairly reasonable price right now. So you're drastically going to reduce your electric bill, which helps pay for the new unit. On top of that, the new units are going to make the house more comfortable, going to heat and cool it better, especially if you start looking at some of those 21s here with the variable speed fans. Whew! That Carrier Infinity system is just great. It does a wonderful job on that. Let's address this heat pump question, though. Yes, you can save money on putting in the new system if you go without the heat pump. But here's a catch-22. We use our heaters here in North Texas. The cost of the electric to use a strip heat, which is what will happen if you don't use the heat pump, versus the heat pump is night and day. I have an all-electric home, and, uh, and I definitely use my heat pump. 
when you switch over from a heat pump to electric strip, you're almost doubling your electric bill. And anybody who has electric heat in your home, you realize that cooling your home is much cheaper than running the heater in your home to keep yourself comfortable. The fact is, when you're running an electric heat using strip heat, and I'll, I'll use a, uh, say, a 2,800-square-foot house, it's not unusual to be running a $500-plus electric bill. If you run it on a heat pump, you're probably going to be more in the 250 to 300 range. It saves you that much on the electric heat. Heat pumps, what they do is it basically is the compressor reversing. It's pulling the heat out of the air and putting it into your home instead of taking the heat out of your home and putting it out into the air. It does just the reverse. Where if you're using these strip heats, it's just like one of those portable heaters where the red glowing uh, rod runs you know, back and forth in front of the heater. It turns red. That's just running up the electric bill. That's what the strip heat does versus what the heat pump does. And without question, a heat pump will save you money in North Texas on your heating bill in the winter months versus using the strip heat. And it doesn't cost you that much more. Granted, you may spend twelve to fifteen hundred dollars more, and in some cases even a little bit more than that. But in general, twelve to fifteen hundred dollars. Guess what? One winter, you can save that much if it's a cold winter. It makes that big a difference. So uh, by all means, yeah, if you're an all-electric home, take a look at the heat pump. As far as on the on the rest of the question, you know, if indeed the compressor is going out, I would not put a compressor into a 15-year-old system. My rule of thumb is if i got to replace any major components on that old system, I'm going to replace the system. My rule of thumb on most things is once I get to a 50% value, in other words, I'm going to spend 50% of the value of it to repair it, I'm going to replace it, whether it's air conditioning or something else in my home. Air conditioning in particular, though, once you get over about 12 years old, if you got to do any major repairs, compressor, things like that, it's time to replace it to something more energy efficient and save money that way. And really, it will make a big difference on your energy bills.